I would like to, uh, to pray real quick. I have the, the privilege. That's awesome. Thanks, Keith. I have the privilege of delivering the word today. And so uh, would you just bow your heads with me as, as we pray? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time, Lord. Thank you for your presence that's here even now. Just felt it so strongly here during the worship service, Lord. Thank you that you are speaking. Lord, we say more of you and less of me, less of us, Lord Jesus. So would you just speak through me now, Lord, in your precious name we pray. Amen. I grew up abroad. I was born in South Africa, spent some time in Australia, and eventually, um, when my parents' parents were getting older, they decided to come back to California. And my parents were missionaries in Southern Africa for a number of years, um, and they helped uh, plant a church in Adelaide, Australia, um, in the early 1990s. And um, periodically, the movement that they were a part of, which is not Antioch, they, um, they would have these team leader gatherings and similar to what's going on. And I remember one time in California going to this gathering. I was a teenager. I was in high school doing my thing, playing water polo and swimming and things like that. And I remember going to the gathering and, um, and hearing all of these people speak and, um, and seeing God move and things like that. And I remember at one point after the gathering, I went up to one of these leaders, to one of these people, and I remember it so distinctly. I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable here, and uh, I'm embarrassed by it now, but I remember going up to him and saying, Chris, what do I have to do to get on team? By team, that meant these people who were traveling around and who were speaking at conferences and things like that. And I, I, um, I'm so embarrassed by that right now. Uh, there's a woman, her name is uh, Christine Kane. She uh, ministers out of Australia. And she says, um, and this is such a great reminder, don't confuse visibility with importance. And I'm confessing to you right now, my heart was not in the right place when I spoke to that person. And you know what he said to me? He was like, Ben, dude, you got to follow Jesus and not worry about being up front. And he gently chastised me. And it always has stuck with me. And um, so we've been looking at a series called Lord, Teach Us to Pray. And, uh, and we're getting ready to kind of wrap things up today. And um, our, the, the, the question of Lord, teach us to pray comes out of uh, Luke 11, when one of the disciples went to Jesus, recognizing how he had moved in power, and said, Lord, can you teach us how to pray like John has done with his disciples. And of course, we, we all know uh, the, the word that came out of that, okay? Um, it's what is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer, and it's been 
said and recited for over a millennia by churches and Christians the like. In fact, why don't we say it together as a congregation right now? Really, as a way to practice what Jesus was teaching. And so it's up on the screen right now, or you can say it from memory, however you want to do it. We're reading it out of the ESV version, the English Standard Version, from Matthew 6. And so church, will you join me in saying it together today? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. So as I said, over the last eight weeks, we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer, and we've explored the various themes and elements of the Lord's Prayer, those powerful things that are embedded in those words. Katie preached a message on worship and adoration. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. John Ketchum and Patrick Schumann uh, spoke both on intercession and unanswered prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And at this point in the Lord's Prayer, there are really three parts that have been addressed. That is, all these things are God-centered things, right? Adoration, thanksgiving, and submission to his will and to his kingdom. Do I need to adjust this? I feel like I do. to try this again. Hey, one of the words that was shared this morning was about humility. Maybe the Lord's teaching me something right now. It's great. So God-centeredness, adoration, thanksgiving, and submission. And then next, we have the three other elements. And these are more personal in nature, right? Petition. Give us this day our daily bread. Confession. Alyssa Tachi shared a message on, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And finally, spiritual warfare. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All of these components of the Lord's Prayer really provide us with a guide on how to pray and interact with our Father in heaven. It's amazing how these simple words, often quoted, probably memorized, have so much power and revelation into God the Father as king over the earth and our relationship with God and our place in the world. If you want to know more about each one of those Um, elements or components that I recommend, uh, perhaps maybe listening to some of the sermons that we have available for you. Um, There's also a lot of preachers and scholars and writers that are far more eloquent than I will ever be 
that can share um, some context and some cultural background to each one of those components. And although I have nothing against any one of those people or our sermons, church, ultimately, reading the Bible and praying are going to bring revelation to all of those elements. That's where we're going to encounter the truth of what God is speaking and what is embodied in that prayer. It's by practicing it. I watched Lucas play basketball a lot. He practices a lot, and I can see how much better he's getting at basketball. It's because he's practicing. And if we practice praying, being connected to the Father, we're going to be more sensitive to his voice. So we looked at all those elements to the Lord's Prayer, and in addition to the Lord's Prayer, I found it interesting how both before and after Jesus teaches his disciples to pray in Matthew 6, he also includes some cautionary guidelines to his disciples, and I think probably by extension to us as well about prayer and how we live. For example, in Matthew 6, verses 5 and 6, take a look at what he says there. Again, this is coming from the ESV version. He says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. saying, don't be a hypocrite. There's nothing wrong with praying in public. In fact, that is a communal thing that Jesus endorses. We can also pray in private. But what does it come down to? It comes down to our intentions. It comes down to our hearts. What is our heart motivation? And yes, that applies in prayer. But guess what, church? It applies in every element of our lives. What is our heart intention? In verse 7, Jesus says, again from Matthew 6, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. I don't know about you, but sometimes I've felt tempted to try to give an awesome prayer, to try to use great words that might sort of speak to my knowledge or lack thereof, But what's Jesus saying here? Don't heap up empty phrases. Just be real. Just be authentic. And those phrases get thrown a lot today. Hey, you just got to be real. You just got to be authentic. But it's true in what he's getting at there. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think sometimes Christians have bankrupted themselves in the eyes of the world, because we played the religion card. Because we've complicated the gospel to such a degree, like the Pharisees, that we reek of hypocrisy and inauthenticity. 
Maybe that's just been my experience in some cases, and that might not be your experience in some cases, but sometimes that has happened. Jesus experienced it himself. I want to be real. I want to be authentic. And you know what the mark of that is? Somebody who follows Jesus. Not somebody playing religion. Finally, in verses 14 and 15, these kind of components bookend the Lord's Prayer. He says, um, and I find it interesting, immediately following the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus again speaks to forgiveness. Verses 14 and 15, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father Forgive your trespasses. People, forgiveness brings reconciliation. When I've done things wrong, and trust me, you can ask my wife, it happens frequently, sometimes I can feel alienated by God. I, I turn into myself, I turn to isolation, and I don't actually go to my heavenly Father to reconcile myself to him. If I've done something to offend my wife, or maybe it's your roommate, or maybe it's a friend, a colleague, a coworker, a boss. If I don't reconcile, if I don't ask for forgiveness or give forgiveness, we can let that fester. We can live in isolation. And that's not what God has called us to do. He's called us to reconcile ourselves both to him and to those that we've offended. Many years ago, I read this book uh, by this guy. His name's Donald Miller. He wrote this book called Blue Like Jazz. And in it, he, um, he was tormented by this, this guy that was totally annoying. Have you ever met somebody like that? And, um, and he was convinced that he was going to demonstrate to this person how annoying they were by him trying to show him through his verbiage, his behavior. He thought that he was going to compel this person to change. And nothing happened. Except he felt convicted by the way he was treating somebody else. And when he went and asked for forgiveness, and reconciled himself, lo and behold, he talked about years later, that person wasn't annoying. And it's not necessarily that they changed their behavior, it's that he changed the way that he interacted with those people. He reconciled himself. Love will always break down barriers. It will always break down barriers. Judgment, judgment won't. Because the only one who can bring judgment is Jesus. And he took that away when, when God sent his son and he died on the cross for us. That's the power of the gospel for each and every one of us. That was my introduction. Don't worry, the message is short. 
So I want to talk today about the kingdom coming full circle. And as we're wrapping up this series on the Lord's Prayer, I was thinking about when I was younger and how we used to say the Lord's Prayer in church. Did anybody else grow up like that, where you would say the Lord's Prayer in church? It's a wonderful piece of liturgy in, in Christianity. And, um, and I remember distinctly, actually, that part at the end. Do you know which part I'm talking about? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You know, if you think about it, at this point, the Lord's Prayer has come full circle. We land just where we started, right? The beginning of the Lord's Prayer says, having um, hallowed be thy name. Having hallowed the Father's name, we now declare his glory at the end. Having prayed for his will to be done, we proclaim his power. Having invited his kingdom to come, we celebrate that it has come already, both now and forevermore. Some scholars call this part the ascription or a doxology. And for all those Bible scholars out there, which I am not one of them, but I, I learned about this, that it actually didn't appear in the earliest Greek manuscripts of the Lord's Prayer. Okay? In fact, um, unless you have a pretty old Bible, maybe you do, it, it probably isn't actually in your version. But the earliest church had been using those words to pray for centuries. And they're significant because they come from King David. In 1 Chronicles 29, David, King David, is supporting his son Solomon in the building of the temple, which David designated a place for, or excuse me, designated as a palace. I thought this was curious. Why did he call it a palace? I'll get there in a minute. 1 Chronicles 29 goes on to say what David provided for the building of the temple. And I just ask you, bear with me here for a second. I'm just going to read it. Okay? This, these are all the things that David gave for the building of the temple that he dubbed the palace. This is from 1 Chronicles 29, verse 2 through 5. He says this, So I have provided for the house of my God so far as I was able the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and wood for the things of wood, besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble, Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own, of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house. And for all the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver, who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord. I find this passage amazing. Don't you? <laughs> I don't know. There, there are some parts of Scripture that are drier than others. But I really do find this part amazing 
because here you have David giving generously as both a king, but also just personally. And he's giving to the building and to the consecration of the temple, which he calls a palace. Because it's God's kingly residence among his people. It's God's kingly residence among his people. So he's building a home in the temple for God. I think we all know a little bit about David. I'm, assu- I'm assuming, right? David is one of the most famous kings in all of Israel. His exploits, both good and bad, were known throughout the land, and we know a lot about him as well. In fact, I'm pretty sure that if I went back to the Compass classroom right now and I said, hey, kids, tell me a little bit about King David, I bet you that pretty much 100% of them could tell me something about David. It might just be David and Goliath, but they could tell us something about King David. He was known for his exploits. And in fact, he was known as a man after God's own heart. He then prays in verses 10 through 13. This is the last part. Stay with me here. He says this, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Sound familiar? He goes on to say, both riches and honor come from you, and you alone rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. This is a prayer that he gives in the presence of all of Israel in the assembly as he's wanting to support his son, Solomon, in building of the temple, in building of a palace, a house for his God. This is it. This is important. Here it is. David is surrendering his kingdom to that of the king of kings. David, one of the most prolific kings in all of Israel, is surrendering his kingdom for the king of kings. He is relinquishing his power and authority and surrendering it to his heavenly father. He's declaring, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's surrendering his kingdom. I thought that's powerful. He's surrendering his kingdom for God's kingdom. 
I've been reading this book, yes, the Bible, but also this other one called How to Pray, a simple guide for people like me. I'm a normal person, okay? And, uh, and Pete Gregg, who has a church in England called Emmaus Church, um, he had this quote, and I gotta be honest, I was challenged by it. He says this, we live in an age in the Western church when this is rare. We love to speak of the kingdom without ever really wanting to surrender anything costly to its king. Our time, our money, our achievements, our dreams for our lives are all resolutely ours. God's speaking to me about this. It's convicting me. Personal surrender and costly sacrifice are rare. For some people, the kingdom of God is an unthreatening, ephemeral concept, a vaguely and pleasantly desirable future prospect, not the kind of concrete present reality that grazes our knees as we relinquish everything we cherish to its king. I was challenged by that. He goes on to say, but to pray those closing lines of the Lord's Prayer is to give the kingdom, the power, and the glory back to God. It's to give him our little empires and say, yours, Lord, is the kingdom. It's to give him the power bases we've built and say, yours, Lord, is the power. It's to give him our credibility, our trophies, our trophies of success, the things that we hold dear, and say, yours, Lord, is the glory forever and right now. Keeping the essence of the Lord's prayer at the center of our lives, your kingdom come, your will be done, is what is going to lead to renewal, transformation. From the biggest, my wife said not to say this, but gnarliest things that you encounter in life. And I'm not making light of these things. Addiction. There's all sorts of addiction. The problems that we face in our lives, down to the most simple daily routines. Why? Because we are keeping his kingdom at the center. We're surrendering our kingdom. The things that we want to hold up, our achievements, our successes, our time, and we're giving it to him. We're fixing our eyes on Jesus and not on ourselves. And I just want to say, don't believe the lie of condemnation that you have to feel guilty about any of this because God sent his son to die for all of that. But he is asking us to surrender so that his kingdom can come, so that his will can be done here on earth. We want to see lives changed. Let his kingdom come.
both in our lives, in our relationships, with our neighbors, with our coworkers, let his kingdom come. This will transform us personally in our relationship with Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about my misplaced desires to feel visible and important like I shared in the beginning. How embarrassing. But I don't think I'm unique. Maybe a little bit. This will transform your relationships with others. Your spouse, your children, your roommate, your coworker, your boss. Let his kingdom come and those things will be transformed. This will transform the culture. Church, we want an answer to change the culture. It's the church. Do you believe that? It's the church that is going to transform the culture. And in some ways, we've surrendered that to other forms. And I'm not saying those other forms are bad. There is a place for those things. But guess what? The church is also part of the answer. It is part of the solution. It's part of the way that we see the lost. And I'm guilty of not seeing it that way sometimes. It's part of the way that we will see those who are facing homelessness, the fatherless, the addicted. We want to see social and political and economic change in the culture. Let his kingdom come. Because it's all about his kingdom. Amen? Amen. You know, when we say amen, I want to say a little word about this. When we say amen, we are speaking an ancient Hebrew saying that was used in the synagogues and then in the church. It literally means yes. It means I agree. It means so be it. Amen. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let's say amen to God's fatherhood. Let's say amen to his kingdom coming on earth and his will being done, both in our lives, in our relationships, and in our communities. Let's say amen to surrendering our prerogatives and saying amen to kingdom objectives to his goals in our lives. And just so you know, I'm not saying that's easy. It requires sacrifice because it requires surrender. I have to die to myself daily. So as we enter into response time, there's a couple of things that we can, we can think about and, and respond to. I'd be remiss if I, if I don't say up here, you know, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you've never entered into that relationship, 
then now's the time. There's an opportunity for that. You want to come up and play the keys, babe? (laughs) Hey, this is family, okay? And if you're a visitor for the first time, you might think I'm a little quirky or things like that, but you know what? We're just, we're worshiping the Lord. We're surrendering to him. Maybe there are areas of your life that you need to surrender. And so I invite you, in whatever way you want to respond, we'll have people on the sides here. They'll have a prayer badge. I have them up here. You can go and pray with them. There are people around you that can pray with you. You can sit by yourself and you can just listen. You can listen to the worship. You can ask me, God, what do you want to say to me? Maybe you want to see his kingdom come in a relationship or an area of your own life that you haven't surrendered to him. I invite you, church, to engage. This isn't a passive performance. This is about the revelation of what the death of Jesus Christ did for each and every one of us. That through that, he's given access to, we've been given access to the Father. We've been made righteous so that we can enter into his kingdom. We can enter into his throne. So as we respond in worship, you respond how you feel you need to respond. Whether that's coming up front, I'd love to pray with you. Others would love to pray with you. Or just simply sitting in your seat or standing and asking the Lord what he wants to say to you. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done here on earth. Lord, where you're speaking to us, would we surrender those elements of our lives that you want us to surrender? Earlier in the service, somebody shared a word about um, coals in, um, in a fire. And, and if you've ever had a fireplace or things like that, right, they, they sit overnight and there might be just these small little embers, mostly just barely there, right? But what happens when you take that piece of newspaper and you start to fan the ember? It becomes red hot again. It fans into flame. And so, Lord, we submit to you. Father, we submit our areas of our life to you, Lord Jesus. Would you speak to us? Would you fan us into flames for your kingdom, Lord, for your glory, for your power, 